0: Morning church. Um, today's scripture is from Second Corinthians, chapter five, verse seventeen. 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come.
1: Julia, thank you for doing our reading today. Pastor Josh. Thank you for that song, Maddie, wherever you slipped off to. Man, so good. He makes all things new. Let's pray and and speak to our Lord as we prepare for the message. Father, what a great truth that you make all things new. Just not new in time, but new in quality. Lord, that we bring to you our, our broken, our sinful selves, And you make us whole and perfect and pure. Lord, that's a miracle for which we give you great praise this morning and say thank you. And Lord, we we are being perfected day by day as we yield our will to yours. We sang about that, Lord, and it's easier to sing about it than it is to do it on a regular basis. And so we ask for your Holy Spirit to empower us that we might yield our will to yours and experience the best life possible both now and forever. Lord, we pray for our loved ones who are away from us. Some are sick. We ask you to minister health to them in body and soul. Some of them are away at school and being influenced by worldly people and teachings. We pray, Lord, that you'd protect their young minds and that you'd bring them back to us safe and whole. Lord, others are deployed, and Lord, we also pray for their well-being mentally and physically and that you'd bring them back to us safely. Lord, as we study your word today, we ask for the Holy Spirit to be our teacher and for him to speak through me words that are true and life-changing for the glory of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. I don't know if you have a favorite book that you like to reread or read many times. I'm rereading a book by the author Philip Yancey. The book is The Jesus I Never Knew and Yancey is arguably one of the finest Christian writers today. Philip Yancey, I think, is arguably one of the finest Christian artists in our day. He is a man who doesn't just write whatever is popular or some Christian fad, but he goes deep and makes us wrestle with things that we have heard or believe or, or should believe, and he has won 12 golden medallion awards for his books, and he has twice won book of the year. Billy Graham said of Philip Yancey these words, and I quote, there is no writer in the evangelical world that I admire and appreciate more. And who am I to disagree with Billy Graham? (laughs) So I admire Philip Yancey, and if you pick up any one of his books, you will not be disappointed with the book. Well, in rereading his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, I was forced to rethink my understanding of the very first time that Jesus, as the God-man, had an encounter with another human being. Now, Jesus, of course, being God, has always existed in eternity past. The Scriptures tell us in Colossians 1.16 that He is the one who created everything But he had a beginning as the God-man, as the person who uniquely is 100% God and 100% man at the same time. Theologians have tried to describe that, and when we come to a mystery in Scripture, we theologians like to use Greek words. And so it's called the hypostatic union as if that clears everything up for us. (laughs) 100% God and 100% man, and Jesus had a first appearance as the God-man, a first encounter with another human being, and that first encounter with the God-man has been memorialized by the church and by Hallmark Cards. And unfortunately, often without a clear understanding of what that unique first encounter was really like. Today, we're continuing in our series entitled Encountering Jesus. We have been looking at different people and their first encounter with Jesus. Last week, we saw a man who was an invalid, who was laying on his pallet for 38 years behind, beside a pool waiting for it to stir, thinking he'd be healed if he got in. and He encountered Jesus, but he missed the Christ. <laughs> he didn't even know it was Jesus that healed him. And we are challenged to make sure that we don't miss Jesus. Whether things are going well or whether they're going in a way that we would call bad, we don't want to miss Jesus. And we saw last week that we need to let Jesus, not our circumstances, define who we are. That this man might have defined himself as an invalid for 38 years, and Jesus changed that and healed him, and Jesus wants us to realize that we are not defined by our circumstances, molded by them, yes, but not defined by them. Jesus is the one who defines us, and we are his children. We are co-heirs with him. If you missed the sermon or other sermons, our sermons are available on our church website. Also, we now have them available if you have an iPhone through podcasts, or if you have a Android or other type of phone through Stitcher. But today's encounter with Jesus is an event that I said has been so memorialized, but also morphed into something quite different than it actually was. We call this first encounter with the God man Christmas. And more specifically today, we call it the Virgin Birth. And Philip Yancey in his book challenges us to relook at this encounter that Jesus had with Mary from Mary's perspective, not our 21st perspective. In Mary's first century perspective, she was a good Jewish girl. She wasn't a girl that lived in the 21st century in a loose-living, immoral society. Join with me in Luke chapter 1. We have four Gospels. The four Gospels give us four brief accounts that are incomplete, of the life of Christ, they give us some snapshots of his life, and only one out of the four Gospels, only Luke's Gospel actually focuses on this event of Christ's first encounter as the God-man with Mary, and perhaps it's because Luke not only was he a missionary and a historian, but he was a medical doctor, and so he was interested in the medical aspect of the coming of God as an embryo. In Luke chapter 1, verse 26, it starts off this way in verse 26. Now in the sixth month, that is the sixth month of the pregnancy of Elizabeth, who was a relative of Mary. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. You might know that in this culture, that when you were engaged, you were considered married already, but you didn't come together physically. There is a period of about a year there, you're considered husband and wife, but they want to make sure that the woman isn't pregnant already. And so you have this year of sort of testing before you come together. So she could be called a wife, he could be called a husband, they also could be called fiancés. And so they're in this period of waiting. And the angel comes to her, verse 28, and coming in he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, who doesn't want to find favor with God? Who doesn't want to be one of God's favorites? But not so fast. Before you raise your hand, you need to understand that finding favor with God is not synonymous with having all your dreams fulfilled. Finding favor with God is not the same as hitting it big or winning the lottery. Finding favor with God means your life is about to change drastically. And not always in the direction you might expect or even desire, but it's going to change. Looking at your outlines there, the first thing that we want to glean from this text is this. Number one in your outline, your encounter with Jesus should be life-changing. It should be life-changing when you encounter Jesus. In the scripture that was just read for us in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you've encountered Christ, you are a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When you encounter Jesus... It should be life-changing. And if you look at your life, and your life hasn't changed when you've encountered Jesus, you have to wonder if you've really encountered Him, because it needs to be life-changing. And Jesus is going to radically change the life of Mary through this encounter. The angel makes this quite clear, beginning in verse 31. The angel says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall name him Jesus and he will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. This is good news. In Mary's day, Being barren was the number one cause of divorce among Jews. The number one cause of divorce was infertility. In later centuries, infertility was such a significant issue in Judaism that the rabbis who wrote a book called the Talmud, which was a list of laws and rules that the rabbis came up with between the 3rd and 6th centuries A.D., They put in the Talmud that if a Jewish couple had been married for 10 years and had not had any children, by law, Jewish law, they had to divorce. They had to divorce because they believed that God has commanded this couple to be fruitful and multiply. And in order not to be disobedient to God, they had to divorce and marry someone else and have children. So for Mary, a young Jewish virgin, to be told by the angel Gabriel that she is fertile is fantastic news. And then to be told that her first child is going to be a boy is even better news. In first century Palestine, if you were born a girl to a Greek family or a Roman family, the family might put you outside to be exposed to die. Because a girl baby was not nearly as valuable to the Greeks and Romans as a boy. In the Jews of that time, they weren't as cruel, but they still preferred to have a boy. One reason is because if you're a woman, you were always under the authority of a man. You always required a man for your livelihood. A girl starts off with her father taking care of her. And then the next stage is she is handed off to a husband to take care of her. There was none of this, hey, I'm 18 now, I'm going to get a job at, at Starbucks and earn some money, and I'm going to backpack through Europe until I get married and get married at 20-something, 30-something. No. A woman went from being in her father's household to being in her husband's household directly, and then, when and if her husband died, and the majority of women end up being widows, she needed a man to take care of her for her livelihood. And so, hopefully, she had a son who would take care of her. So, knowing that she was going to have a son was good news. But she's not going to just have a boy. She's going to have the boy of all boys. She's going to have the long-awaited, the long-prophesied, the promised Messiah, the Savior of the world. The favor that God was bestowing on Mary had never, ever been bestowed on anyone else and would never, ever be bestowed on anyone else. It was a once in all human history event. It would never occur again. It had never occurred before. It was a great blessing and a great responsibility. And this encounter with Jesus would be life-changing for Mary. But she had no idea how life-changing. Anyone who has a baby, especially for the first time, suddenly discovers their life has been changed forever. I recently received an email from one of our missionaries, and she was sharing about a young man named Joseph who is Kenyan and lives in Kenya. And this Kenyan mother of Joseph, her life was radically changed when her son Joseph was born. I'd like to read to you Joseph's gripping story that he wrote. He wrote it in broken English, so it's not only gripping and tragic and triumphant; it's also sometimes triumphant, uh, uh, humorous because of the language of his English. Listen to Joseph's story, this Kenyan son. This is my story. I was born in 1972 in a family of 13 children. As a disabled person. Taking it in the African setup, this was considered a curse to the family. So my mother had to hide me out for almost a year to avoid being attacked by the society to kill me. To accomplish this, my mother had to flee away to another village far away, such which made her to divorce my father and get married somewhere else. She swore that whoever would try to kill me, it is her first to die before I am reached. Oh, in the same place, she was also neglected due to my condition and had to leave for another place in order to protect me from malicious attack. As I grew on, I came to realize the manner my mother kept and protected me. And for this reason, I vowed that in my life, I would work out to help and to save anybody called a woman. Now, when it came time for me to join school, it became difficult because every child in the school was running away from me. I was disheartened and even fled off into the streets to be away from home and school. Upon hearing that my mother wanted to commit suicide because I was not home, I had to return back home. Upon reaching 18 years of age, I shared with my mother about starting a ministry and calling it Broken Chains Ministry, which will work to assist women, especially those women in prison. This enlightened my mother, and she was proud. And she encouraged me and also said that I should not denigrate any woman whatsoever. She also told me about when she was giving birth to me Her midwife told her to kill me, but she refused to do so. In 2007, I traveled to America while my mother was in Kenya, very much sick. She said, my son, you are going away from me. Please don't stay there. Come back and bury me. She also told me that in 1976, somebody from France came to her house and wanted to buy me. But she refused, for she said that I was a great gift to her life. While being in America, I remembered this story that she had told me, and I cried, making me come back to Kenya. Oh, it did not take a month before she passed away. So all the work I'm doing in my ministry now is out of the love and the manner my mother raised me up. I am always not happy to see a woman suffering. Blessings and joy to you, your brother, Joseph. Being a mother is never easy. And being a mother of a special son, whether it's Jesus or whether it's this disabled Joseph, is especially challenging. Mary, after encountering Jesus, would certainly have her life changed irrevocably. And your encounter with Jesus should also be life changing. But encountering with Jesus doesn't automatically lead to changed life. God has graciously given each one of us a free will to decide how we want to respond to God. And when you first read this story about Mary, you might think she had no choice. But she did. It's evident in the story, and it's also evident by the character of God. Let's continue the story. Verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? Now, if Mary were a 21st century American bride-to-be and said, I am a virgin, the angel probably would have gone, right. (laughs) Because according to Google, only 3% of American brides are virgins on their wedding night. But in Mary's culture, first century Judaism, her virginity is almost 100% guaranteed. Because adultery was still punishable by stoning by Jewish law. And In first century Palestine, a boy became of legal and marriageable age at age 13, and a girl became a legal and marriageable age at age 12. And although that might be shocking to you and me in the 21st century, that was not uncommon throughout history and throughout cultures where young people got married shortly after reaching puberty. Well, if you get married right after puberty, instead of waiting 10 years or 20 years or 30 years to get married, you're much less likely to commit an immoral act. You're much more likely to be a virgin. How old Mary was at this time, we don't know for sure, but a reasonable conjecture is that she is of the normal marriageable age, which would have made her a very young teenage And if you're a teenager here today, keep in mind that God's plan for you is to keep your virginity until you are married. Now, Mary's virginity was essential, not just because it showed her to be a moral young woman, but because without her being a virgin, virgin, you would not really know that God was the Father. If she was having relationships with Joseph... You might just say, well, Jesus was Joseph's son, and you'd have no way of knowing. But she is a virgin because God is her father, and that needs to be evident. I find it interesting as you read the text that the question that Mary asks is maybe not the one that would come to my mind or your mind. She didn't ask, why me? She didn't ask, who else have you already asked? Or, who else has already turned you down for this? Or, to me, the most obvious one, how long do I have to think about this? I want to go talk to Joseph, my fiancé, and I'll get back to you after we've prayed about this. There's no indication that's what she said. What's recorded for us out of a whole list of questions that she could have asked, she asked, how? Now, you know this story very well. You've perhaps heard it ever since you were a little child and celebrated Christmas. And so, this story has no suspense to you. It has no real drama. You know how it plays out. Mary doesn't know how it plays out. She's never heard the story. She's never heard of a virgin birth unless she knew the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. This is all new to her. And she goes, how? Verse 35, the angel answers and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. Now imagine you've never heard this story. How's Mary going to respond? Is she going to accept or reject? Keep in mind that angels are not omniscient. They don't know everything. They don't know the future. The only part of the future an angel knows is the part that God has already told them. I imagine the host of heaven, the angels listening in to find out how Mary's going to respond. They're curious, the scripture tells us. They look into these things to see how they play out. Would Mary agree or not? This teenage Jewish girl is about to decide not only her own fate, but the fate of the entire human race. No pressure. No pressure. And she doesn't know how it plays out, just like you don't know how your next chapter plays out. In the United States of America, every year a million teenage girls get pregnant out of wedlock. A million. In addition, in our culture today, it's not unusual for a couple that's unmarried to have children. But in Mary's day, in a close knit Jewish community, such a pregnancy would be a scandal. That would not go away. Writer Philip Yancey challenges us to think about the fact that Elizabeth, her relative, who also has had an angel show up to tell her she's going to have a baby and it's a miracle. Well, Elizabeth's relatives are all celebrating that birth. But Mary's birth? God is the Father? Would her family celebrate that? Do they believe her? One writer says, if this was a 21st century girl who was pregnant out of wedlock and she said God was the father, we would probably abort the baby and put her in the psych ward. That's our Christmas story, folks. Mary doesn't know how it plays out. Perhaps for the rest of her life, She has the stigma of claiming that God is the father of what people say is an illegitimate son. Yancey proposes that that's quite possibly why Joseph took Mary with him for the census, because she wasn't required to be there. Only the males had to go for the census. Mary, nine months pregnant, didn't have to make that trip. We know she wasn't with family when the baby was born, and maybe this is why. They were ashamed, not believing the truth. An encounter with Jesus should be life-changing. Secondly, you must yield your will to God's will for the best outcome. You must yield your will to God's will for the best outcome. Mary wasn't forced to carry the pregnancy. Although this was God's plan and God's will and God's best, the text indicates Mary had a choice, as does the character of God. Look at verse 38. And Mary said, Behold the bondslave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word And then the angel departed from her. The angel didn't leave until he had Mary's response. She had a choice, and her choice was to yield her will to God the Father's will. Because God the Father would never force himself on a young girl. That would be immoral. He gave her a choice. Will you bear my child? And she said, yes. And then, after angel Gabriel heard the answer, then he departed. Perhaps to be with the angels in heaven, rejoicing, having heard, Mary accepted her calling. Same is true for you. You must yield your will to God's will if you want the best outcome. Some 33 years after this, Mary's son, Jesus, would also wrestle with the same thing. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's on his knees, he's praying, he's sweating drops like blood. He knows he's going to the cross, and he doesn't want to go there because he knows what it means. And he says to the Father, not my will, but your will be done. He yields his will to the Father's will for the best outcome the entire world. Jesus yielded His will to the Father's will. Mary yielded her will to the Father's will. And you and I need to yield our wills to the Father's will. And that will give us the best outcome. But remember, just as it was with Joseph and, and, and Jesus and Mary, the best path is often the hardest path. That's our third thing to learn from this text. Number three, the best path is often the hardest path. You see, if Mary were just having Joseph's baby out of wedlock, people would forget that. But to have a baby out of wedlock and claim God is the Father, that's not easily forgotten. <laughs> that's a hard life. But Mary yielded. God's best is often man's hardest path, but Mary accepted it. Jesus accepted it for himself, and a Kenyan mother accepted it. What about you? You know, when you read the biographies of the great saints throughout history, there's one phrase you probably won't ever read. They had an easy life. you will hear they had a hard life. They had a tragic life. They had a fulfilling life. They had a challenging life. They had a good life. They had the best life, but I don't think you're going to read, and they had an easy life. God wants us to have the best lives, but the best lives aren't necessarily the easiest life. When you encounter Jesus fully, hang on the right. It's the best life you can have. Let's pray together. I'd like to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a private moment. Have you encountered Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, as the one who died for your sins and rose from the grave? Have you yielded your will to His and received salvation for all eternity? You know if you have or not. I don't. Jesus knows if you have or not. If you're here and you haven't and you recognize your need, just right now in this quiet moment, yield to him. Say, Lord Jesus, I yield my will to yours. I accept you as my Savior. I thank you for dying for me. Christian, are you yielded to the Lord Jesus? It's a daily thing, often an hourly thing, to yield to Him. It's the best life. If you want that, remind yourself and tell Jesus, Lord Jesus, I yield my will to Yours. Help me to hang on for the ride, for the best life, though not the easiest life, for the glory of Christ. Amen.
0: Praise the Lord. Uh before I close with a benediction, if there's anyone here and if you wouldn't mind just, you know, bowing your heads, closing your eyes, but if there's anyone here and you just maybe you've been holding something back from the Lord. Maybe there's a part of you that has crawled off the altar. There's a compartment you've been keeping from him and um you just want to rededicate your life to the Lord, I'd just like to facilitate that before we close. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I'll be the only one looking around right now just to see who I'm praying for. If that's you, go ahead and just slip your hand up. Okay, you can put that hand down. Anyone else? Praise the Lord. I see, okay. Lord, I just, you know our hearts. And for uh, these two who just raised their hands, God, I just thank you for Just the willingness that you've put in their hearts to say, God, I I need to hand this over to you. And Lord, um, you're so good and you're so loving. Lord, you move us by conviction, but you never condemn us with guilt and shame. So I ask that you'd lift that, anything that's heavy, that you'd lift it, Lord, right off of these two. And Lord, I pray that you just put a will and a desire in these two lives, these two people, Lord, that they would desire you first and foremost. But thank you for the light that you bring. And I don't just mean light as in the opposite of darkness. I also mean the opposite of weight. Lord, would you make these two light today? Thank you for the way you do what you do, God. And for all of you, my brothers and sisters, as a logical response to the mercies of God, may you present yourselves as living sacrifices to the Lord. Set apart for him for holy living, for this is acceptable to our God as our spiritual worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Have a great day. Be free, be light. Our Lord is the best. God bless.